This is GM Word of the Week, and I'm Fiddleback. Fata Morgana Picture a desert in your head. What do you see? Blowing yellow sand dunes beneath a cloudless blue-white sky? Hot sun blazing overhead? No plants, no animals, just an endless expanse of trackless, windswept sand. And, of course, a pyramid. Because when you're a gamer, there's only one reason to go into the desert, and that's to get the pyramid, fight the undead mummies, and plunder the ancient treasures of ancient god-kings of the great lost empire of Smegypt, which is certainly not based on any real-world culture, right? Well, let's put aside the Shmeegips and Fictionesias and Faumonias of the gaming world for a moment. Let's talk about that desert image. If you recall from our last episode, we discussed the idea of biomes. Biomes are biological communities with similarities in flora and fauna that flourish under certain broad climactic conditions. Remember? And we talked about how varied the forest biome actually is, and how rich and diverse. This week, we're going to explore a completely different biome. Whereas forests are rich and varied and come in a wide variety of types and are home to many diverse animal and plant species, deserts are rich and varied and filled with diverse plant and animal species. Surprise! What you have to realize, first of all, is that the blowing sand dune type desert that you always imagine is just one type of desert. Actually, it's just one type of one type of desert. It's a type of desert that is known as the hot and dry desert. Yes, that's the technical name that ecologists have given it. Hot and dry. Highly descriptive. These types of deserts are also called arid deserts. And when you think of the Sahara Desert, that's the one that stretches across all of northern Africa, including Egypt, and the Arabian Desert, that's the one that covers a large portion of the Middle East, including Saudi Arabia, you're thinking of a hot and dry desert. These types of deserts also include the American Mojave Desert, which includes the aptly named Death Valley. But that's where things get interesting. See, if you're like us, you might picture a different sort of desert when people say, picture a desert in your head. Instead of blowing sand dunes and obligatory pyramids, you might see rocky cliffs, flat-topped tablelands, and tall, two-armed, spiky green cacti. You might also picture interesting animals like the speedy roadrunner and the wily coyote, especially if, like us, you grew up watching Looney Tunes cartoons. If not, let us explain. The Looney Tunes were actually one of two series of cartoons created by great animator and voice actor Chuck Jones, the other being Merry Melodies. The two series provided a host of iconic cartoon characters, including Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Elmer Fudd, Porky Pig, and way, way too many others to list. The Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies shorts combined a lot of clever wordplay and puns with traditional slapstick cartoon humor, and Chuck Jones considered it a more mature form of humor than the other silly cartoons at the time. In 
and watching the wordplay between Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny in the rabbit seasoning shorts, which include the classic pronoun trouble gag, it's hard okay. to disagree. Would you like to shoot me now or wait till you get home? Shoot him now. Shoot him now. You keep out of this. He doesn't have to shoot you now. Ha! That's it. Hold it right there. Pronoun trouble. Any cartoon which makes explicit reference to the grammatical parts of speech as part of a gag in which a wisecracking duck repeatedly gets his beak shot off is okay in our books. But we digress. See, Chuck Jones was, reportedly, because this stuff is a little hard to verify, Chuck Jones was very impressed with his clever humor. However, in the late 1940s, another cartoon started to gain popularity and horn in on his turf. The cartoon was called Tom and Jerry. It starred a cat and mouse that repeatedly maimed each other in an orgy of cartoon violence that later became the inspiration for the Simpsons parody cartoon Itchy and Scratchy. The problem, according to Chuck Jones, was that the cartoon wasn't clever or witty. It was just a cat and a mouse endlessly chasing each other around and beating the ink and paint out of each other with mail-order explosives. He was so furious, he decided to show everyone how stupid the idea was by creating his own version of the Chase cartoon. People would see how dumb it was compared to his other clever cartoons and realize he was right. So he created a cartoon in which a starving coyote by the name of Wild E. Coyote endlessly pursued an ostrich-like roadrunner named, well, the roadrunner, actually, across the Mojave Desert of the American Southwest with an endless array of mail-order gadgets. Wild E. Coyote was inevitably foiled and all of his plans went awry and he always ended up blown up, crushed, or flattened. And it was a hit. The Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote were one of the most popular cartoon rivalries of all time. So I guess Chuck Jones made his point. By the way, the Roadrunner is a real bird. Technically, the Roadrunner is a greater Roadrunner of the genus and species Geococcyx californianus. Californianus means that it comes from California. And Geococcyx comes from the Greek geo, meaning ground or earth, and coccyx, which you might recognize as the name of the bone at the end of your spinal column in your butt. So you could say the greater roadrunner is the California ground butt. But to be fair, the bone in your butt is actually named after the Greek name for the cuckoo bird. Linguists are not entirely sure how the Greek name for the cuckoo bird became the name for the butt bone, but it was apparently named by the Greek physician Herophilus around 300 BCE. He apparently decided the butt bone looked like a cuckoo's beak. If you're interested, the greater roadrunner is about two feet long and stands a foot tall. It builds its nest in cacti. It is capable of limited flight, but spends most of its time running down prey on the ground. It can reach speeds of 25 miles per hour running and has the fastest running speed of any bird that can actually fly. Of course, the fastest running speed of any bird belongs to the flightless ostrich, which can top over 40 miles per hour. But we digress. At any rate, both the rocky barren deserts of the Roadrunner cartoons and the sandy windswept deserts of Shmegypt are classified as arid deserts. 
And actually, only 20% of world deserts consist of blowing sand dunes. Most deserts are rocky, barren regions. Arid deserts are extreme environments. They have very little seasonal variation, remaining hot all year round. But what makes these deserts so extreme is the lack of moisture. Hot and dry deserts receive under 10 inches of rain a year, and most of that rain falls in short bursts between long, rainless periods. In fact, a desert is technically an area of water deficit. That is, it loses more water to evaporation than it gains from precipitation. Now, moisture is extremely important. Not only do plants and animals need water to live, but moisture serves a very important climate control function. During the day, moisture helps absorb some of the sun's heat, keeping things a bit cooler. At night, the moisture helps lock heat in, keeping things a bit warmer. Humidity, gaseous water in the air, has a moderating effect on climate. And deserts don't have any. So, during the day, in the summer, a hot and dry desert can reach temperatures in excess of 100 degrees Fahrenheit. At night, they can lose enough heat to drop down to 0 degrees Fahrenheit. And this is true for most of the year. The other problem comes from a lack of plant life. See, plants need water to live. It's this sort of highly technical scientific fact that you just can't get from other educational podcasts, right? Plant cover is extremely sparse or non-existent in most deserts. The few plants that do exist are extremely hardy and have ways to store water for long periods and avoid losing water to evaporation. They tend to be ground-hugging, with small leaves of limited surface area and filled with nutrients to keep them alive for long periods. These are your cacti and prickly pears and brittle bushes. Vegetation actually plays a very important role in keeping the ground together, though. The roots of plants actually serve to hold the earth together. See, when water falls in the form of rain or runs over the ground in the form of rivers, it tends to scour rock and pick up soil. This process is called erosion or mass wasting. And plants, with their networks of roots, help keep it to a minimum. But deserts have no plants, so when rain does fall, even in small amounts, it tends to completely destroy the soil, and high winds also help scour the earth. So you either get coarse, nutrient-poor sand blowing everywhere in massive hilly dunes, or massive sweeping canyons and dry deep riverbeds with high tablelands and scoured bare rock everywhere. Why do hot and dry deserts get so little rain? Well, a lot of it has to do with something called a rain shadow. And that has to do with a neat process called adiabatic heating and cooling. Imagine you're a chunk of air drifting lazily over the ocean. As the sun hits the ocean's surface, water is turned to steam and evaporates. And you suck up that moisture. And you carry it along. And then the wind sweeps you over the land. You, with your payload of water, and then, up ahead, there's a mountain. You start sweeping up the mountain, and as you do, you cool off. Now the thing is, it's heat that lets you carry your water. So as you cool off, you start dropping your water all over everything. We call that rain. 
and then you hit the top of the mountain range. You start to run down the other side, warming up again and speeding up. By the time you get down the other side, you're fast moving and you're hot and you're dry. That is adiabatic heating and cooling, and it results in very hot, dry winds on the other sides of mountains. If you're Canadian, especially from Alberta, or live in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, you might refer to these sudden hot, dry winds as Chinook winds. If you come from anywhere else in the world, and don't go in for silly names, you'd call them phone winds. In some mountains, like the Alps, they are also called snow eater winds because they rapidly melt snow on the leeward side of mountain ranges. But the largest desert in the world is not a hot and dry type of desert. The largest of the world's deserts is actually Antarctica. Yes, the frozen South Pole. And the second largest of the world's deserts is the Arctic Desert. Yes, the frozen North Pole. The Sahara is actually the third largest desert on Earth. These cold deserts actually do receive quite a bit of rain and snow, though the average precipitation is still not very high across the entire year. And that is what makes them a desert. Other notable cold deserts include Greenland. In addition, there are some less extreme deserts called semi-arid deserts and coastal deserts. These deserts are a bit less harsh, though they still receive very little precipitation overall. The Atacama Desert of Chile is a good example of a coastal desert and mainly consists of salt flats. Semi-arid deserts are cooler and less extreme versions of hot and dry deserts and include the Great Basin Desert in Utah and Montana in the United States, parts of Newfoundland, and parts of Russia and Northern Asia. But apart from sparse life, little rain, and extreme temperatures, there's something else that often comes to mind when we think of deserts. And that's the weird optical property called a mirage. Imagine you are wandering across a hot, dry desert. You're out of water, dying of thirst, and fading fast. You crest a sand dune, and in the distance, suddenly, you spy the mirror sheen of water. A lake. An oasis. You're saved. You burn your last reserves of energy to hike across to the lake with as much speed as you can muster. But you never find the lake. You never get there. And you become just another set of bleached bones scoured by the gritty wind. What happened? What happened is that you fell victim to a mirage. Mirage has the same Latin root as mirror and admire. It means to look at. A mirage is a natural bit of visual trickery. It's caused by the same thing as the weird shimmering heat haze you sometimes see above the road on hot days. What happens is this. The air directly above the ground absorbs heat coming off the ground. That means there is a thin layer of very hot air very near the ground with slightly less hot air directly above it. As light passes through the air, its speed is affected by the temperature of the air. And when there's an extreme difference in temperature, the light rays can actually get bent, sharply bent in some cases. 
In a desert, the bending can be so severe that the very thin, very hot layer of air just above the ground can act like a mirror. So when you look off in the distance and can see distant mountains or dunes reflecting off a seemingly mirror surface, it looks like water. But it isn't. It's just very hot air. Technically, this sort of mirage is called an inferior mirage. That occurs when the reflection of the object is below the object itself, like distant hills and mountains reflected in the surface of an illusionary pond. Now, interestingly enough, in cold climates and over the ocean, you can get a different effect. In those cases, you get a layer of very cold air along the surface, and the mirror effect is reversed. A superior mirage is a floating reflection of the ground hovering over the horizon. You can even sometimes see things that are below the horizon reflected as a superior mirage. In 1596, the explorer Willem Behrens became trapped in the Arctic with his crew and had to endure the polar winter. During the winter, above the Arctic Circle, the sun doesn't rise for months because the Earth's North Pole tilts away from the sun at that time of year. In his log, Behrens reported being taunted by a fake sun rising on the horizon for two weeks before the winter actually ended. That was due to a superior mirage. And sometimes, when conditions are just right, you can get a very complex mirage. The Icelandic people call it Hafgardingar, but the rest of the world calls it Fata Morgana after the shape-shifting fairy Morgan Le Fay. When the temperature differences that create mirages are very extreme, the light can get really, really bent out of shape. And when that happens, you can get a series of stacked and warped reflections. These fast-changing, elaborate mirages can appear as strange moving shapes on the horizon, including upside-down mountains, drifting blobs, and city-like spires and towers. They are most common in very cold regions, but can also occur during the night in arid deserts and even over the ocean. So, how can you use all of this in your game? Well, honestly, the first step is to go check out the wealth of information about deserts on the internet. They are extremely varied landscapes filled with fascinating and hardy plant and animal life. Blowing sand dunes are such a small fraction of these massive biomes that it's really selling them short if the only thing you do with a desert is stick a pyramid in the middle of a sandbox. There's just too much fascinating stuff to fit into one episode of the Word of the Week. As for mirages, add one more interesting natural hazard to your GMing toolbox to lead your players astray and get them lost in the harshest of fantasy environments. One well-placed mirage, and five PCs become just another pile of bones somewhere in the deserts of Smegypt. This has been the GM Word of the Week. It was written by the Angry GM and recorded and produced by me, Fiddleback. You can find more at theangrygm.com and madadventurers.com. 